So as we've been doing for the last few weeks in this series in particular, we're going to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, So we're in Colossians chapter two. Again, I said we're talking about legalism. Uh, As you're standing, just to let you know where we're going in case you're taking notes, we want to do two things. We want to unearth legalism. What's underneath it? What is it? What is legalism? Maybe you're new to the church and you haven't heard this word. We're going to try to unpack it because trust me, you've experienced it. Uh, And then we're going to talk about how do we get rid of it? How do we usurp legalism? So with that in your mind, the the text that we're about to read will make some more sense. So let me go here. Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together with its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right, you may be seated. Okay, so what's going on in this passage? Okay, well, simply put, you have false teachers. Paul, who's writing from prison, is writing to a church in Colossae. It's actually a new church plant. Uh, they're, they're kind of young. They have some great teaching, good foundation, and there's false teachers who are coming in and simply saying you can attain a heightened form of spirituality and holiness independently of Jesus, specifically through you're abstaining from certain things, giving yourself to certain regulations, what religious festivals you observe or don't observe. Let me just show you again, verse 16, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, if you were with us last week, this is what Paul said, see to it, no one takes you captive. Captive, namely, by people who are saying, more needs to be done. So there was an idea where, yes, Jesus, but there's, there's more wisdom, there's higher levels of devotion that if you adhere to, you, you can have a higher standing with God. And Paul's been the whole time going, eh, that's wrong. Again and again, he's saying the gospel is not Jesus plus something, it's all Jesus. He says that, if, that, that you can't get bigger than Jesus. He is preeminent. He is all the fullness of deity. So if you have Jesus, you have everything, all the benefits of Jesus in you. You don't need more. So legalism, thank you. We're going to get a little charismatic. Um, legal, I, I gave you permission, Dwayne. So you, you be the guy the whole time, all right? So Okay, so legalism at its center will say there's, there's more to add. Or, or, or their support to Jesus' work to, follow me here, earn God's love or goodwill by what you can be or do. And so for these false teachers, it was not just their 
religious works or their asceticism where they were denying themselves and looking so godly and look what we don't do. Uh, It was also what they added to that. They had this other theology that made their spiritual experiences puff them up. They had these visions and and, and unless you had them, the posture was you're a sub-Christian and we are superior. And you can be too. That was the vibe. You can have this. And Paul's like, no, no, do not let them pass that kind of judgment on you. Don't let that happen. And, and, and notice this word judgment, because what will happen when you're around uh, particular leaders or people who have this kind of uh, pressure is you're going to feel a kind of uh, guilt-filled, uh, judgmental, patronizing uh, venom. What'll happen is um, you'll, you'll begin, if you're around these people, you'll, you'll feel this weird pressure or weight on your performance, um, on what events you go to, nights of the week you go to, your religious activities, and, and the pressure is those things will give you a sense of meaning, value, and salvation. It's this pressure that if, if you have these, you're, you're gonna get there. there, there um, this is a teacher, a group of leaders who will, with manipulation, passive-aggressive, guilty comments, say, you're not doing something enough. Or you're not as devoted as we are. Or you're not participating the way we are. That if you want good standing with God and them, the way to belong is to appear in a certain way like they do. When you're with people like this, you, you come away thinking not about the wonders and the generous glories of, of grace of your Savior Jesus. You come away just thinking, I am bad, I don't belong, I'm unacceptable to God because I'm not as devoted, I'm not as religious, I'm not getting those experiences the way they are, I'm not as impressive. And here's the hardest thing. This has a lot of power. It does, and, and, it, and it crushes a lot of people. This is a plague that is just wreaking havoc in the church. The church not only in our hearts because it runs in our heartstrings, but the churches on the North Shore, churches you've grown up with. How many of you are can just, you're trying to begin to like, your heart is getting heavy because you know it. There's a lot of power. This crushes people. It makes you feel unworthy when, when the truth of the gospel is Jesus has made you worthy. It makes you feel unusable, but the truth is when the Spirit's in you, he's been sent to use you. And, and legalism, it dismantles the foundation of your faith and of your faith being in the glorious grace of Jesus. But it works. It works. Why? Why does it work? Well, I'll tell you. We as Christians, of course, we were concerned about God being pleased with us. Like, we want to know God. Like, we, we want to know God is with us. We want to know that God loves us, is for us. We, we also, deep down, we want to be holy. Right? We, we want to be devoted. We want to feel like we belong. And, and, and who would want God upset with them? Um, I, I remember one time I heard a voice say to me, this is about six years ago, um, if you drink again, referring to alcohol, uh, I'm not going to use you, okay? Well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, big, that's a big sentence. And so I, I heard that voice, and immediately, er, all these things in my spirit were like, like sinking deep, because the question is, if that's from God, I need to obey him. 
right? I do. And, and, then, and then you have like verses, well, John the Baptist didn't drink. And, and so maybe, maybe if you just did this, and so what I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, this is crazy. I don't know if this is from God. I know there's legalistic spirits that make me want to look at something I'm not doing because then God will bless me and then I'll, and so I've, I've got some of the elders together and we just, for like a few hours, we just prayed through and assessed, is this legalism? Is this something that, that, I, that is being set up so that if you do this, you'll get, so we did that. But, but why was that really hard for me? Because the, the person's heart wants, I want God's blessing on my life, right? Okay, so, so follow me here. Um, what Paul says is this. He says, this it has an appearance of wisdom. That's my point. It has an, has an appearance of wisdom. For some, maybe it's wise not to do that. For others, for me, discerning with the elders, that wasn't from God. That was from the enemy. He was trying to get me to be a legalistic pastor or whatever it was. But, but look at what he says, this. Verse 21. Well, we're gonna get 23, but look at 21. He says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. This is why it works. It has an appearance, Paul says, of, of whoa, look at how holy you are. It has an appearance in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body. What it does is it takes your eyes off Christ and his works and onto, well, you, if you can keep this work. And if you don't, God won't bless you, and if you do, he has his favor with you. And that's legalism. That's not the gospel. You gotta hear that over and over and over. Okay, so legalism, follow me here, has an appearance. It looks like they are living a wise life. They're going to church festivals, right? The Jews had many new moon. This was a monthly festival where they consecrated themselves to God in the Old Testament. You can read about it in Numbers 28. The Sabbath, as you know, was a day where they were to focus on God, those aren't bad, but when one places your faith, your spiritual health, and your self-evaluation or right standing with God in those things, to borrow from Paul's words, to puff yourself up, you've begun to come into the spiritual pride that is legalism. Anything that you put your basis of faith on, your assurance on, your sense of salvation and outside of Christ in you is not the gospel. Which is why he says to make it clear because it's tricky. Nothing wrong with a new moon festival. Aren't we just consecrating ourselves to God? This is why he says, guys, those festivals and regulations, they, they were merely foreshadowing the substance. Who is Jesus? So let me explain this. Before Jesus came, God encountered his people, loved his people the way he does with us by giving them commands and festivals where their hearts would, would have to stop and, and worship him and know him and, and not worship other false gods. But they would all be, be foreshadowing Jesus who is gonna come and be the one who consecrates us to, to God. He's the one who will bring God in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he gave this, the sacrificial systems which pointed to your savior It needs blood atonement for forgiveness, and this is pointing to Jesus. So Paul's been like the whole time, if you've been with us, going, it's all bound up in Jesus. Everything you need is in Jesus. This was a shadow. This was the substance, okay? Um, he, he's saying everything they were designed to teach and accomplish has now come to full and final fruition in 
Jesus. They were judging this, these Christians because they weren't doing these festivals. Paul's going, those festivals were just a shadows to the substance, okay? Let me give you an illustration, okay? Hope this helps. One day, let's say I asked Nikki to meet me uh, for a date, like an anniversary date. I'm like, can you just meet me at this restaurant? And I was walking around the corner uh, to find her, and, and I saw her shadow. Because I know Nikki, we've been married for a long time. I'm like, that's Nikki right there. It would be the weirdest thing if I just started loving the shadow. Like if I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I want to spend my time with you. I want to follow you, shadow, like Peter Pan. Oh, let me kiss your shadow. There it is. She'd be like, ah, uh, the real thing's right here. You're kind of, this is crazy. You're cr- but this is what he's saying. They're just, they're, they're shadows. Okay, now, let's be clear on a few things for the sake of clarity, because it's one of my jobs in preaching, is, is Paul saying we don't have ways we grow or have commands of God we obey in living out of a relationship with God? Is he saying that? No, okay? The next two weeks are going to be put off this and put on this. There's going to be a lot of commands. So Paul is not against sharing, here's how to live Here's how to get more of Jesus. Here's how to become your true self by understanding the law and obeying it. Uh, And and so repent of this and repent of that. He's not against that. What he's against is adding anything to Jesus that you could earn somehow what only Jesus has and has done for you through your performance. Are you with me on that? Okay, here's another, for, for the sake of clarity, questions. Are Christians free to abstain from certain foods and drink? Yes, and some should. If you struggle with alcohol or eating or binge watching or shopping where it's become a place in your life where you get all the comfort, a sense of escape in, a sense of value and worth in out of those things, it's good to put your own personal boundaries in place as long as your motive is to love Jesus, get more of him. And, and listen, don't miss this. And as long as you don't impose your choice on others or moralize what's been good and right for you or suggest that others have fallen short if they do or don't, it's good. If it, if it teaches your soul to cling to the cross, okay, I'll give you an example. I don't drink alcohol on Sundays. Because I know for me, after a great hard day of work, the, last, the, the best thing I want to do is just whew, grab a drink and relax. And I don't do it because I want my relaxing to be Christ. And I do that because I'm teaching my soul, this is how you relax. So that's a good boundary. Now, if I said to you, you, you drink on Sundays? You don't love the Lord? You, that's, that's what I'm talking, that's, that's legalism. Okay, so we're gonna get more clear here. So um, now, and this is going to be a strange one, but, we, but there's friends in our ministry who are immersed in the Old Testament regulations and festivals, okay? If you, if you look at any of their social media or you meet people who, even sometimes if you grew up Catholic, sometimes you can get obsessed with certain festivals. Um, so here's the question. Are Christians free to observe those religious holy days that are mentioned, for example, in verse 16? Are, are, are you free observe, the answer is yes, but not because you have to or because you think that God, for for that reason, now regards you as more holy, more committed, or more acceptable than those who do not observe them. 
and follow me here, as long as in some way, and an ultimate way, it helps you cling to the substance of Jesus. If it, if, if it gets you to him, if somehow uh, that festival just gets you Christ, I mean, you just get the, sh- the shadow so quick, and I want Christ, but, but here's my counsel. I, I think it's dangerous, and it's not helpful, because if you begin to love the shadow more, find greater assurance in observing the shadow, um, y- you will grow some legalism, which, by the way, you need to hear this with, with great clarity, is a sin, Jesus' back was torn into ribbons for legalism. That kind of legalism is is not an error of Christianity. It's a different religion. When your heart begins to judge and tyrannize those whom Christ has set free, Jesus will get in your face. Okay, now, we're we're still unearthing it, okay? Let's pull this thing out and just get all the earth off it. Um, there's another aspect of legalism, which I think is also growing, uh, and you can see it in verse 18, okay? So we're we're in this together. Look at verse 18. It'll be on the screen for you. I'm going to call this, by the way, uh, legalism of hyper, extra-biblical, charismatic spirituality, okay? Let me say that again, because I choose my words very intentionally, okay? I'm going to call this a legalism of hyper, extra-biblical, charismatic spirituality. Let me just show you where I get this. Verse 18, he says this, let no one disqualify you. Okay, say that you're unfit. One translation says, condemn you, insisting on aestheticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I want you to notice a few things. Paul begins by saying, with this legalism, the sense is not just judgment, over food and drink and practice, okay? Some churches are just that. I grew up in a church very close to that. This is a sense that without a certain level of spiritual experience, you're unfit, not legit, and disqualified, okay? Now, let's just notice, let's just, we're gonna, we're all in this together. Notice some of the characteristics. There's a strange added theology. You have the worship of angels, uh, there's also going on and on details about visions, things a person sees. I see this, and I see this, and, and, and the vision is not to build up. The vision is not to strengthen the Christian's faith, to get them to the cross, that, that'll just grow them, want, want them to plunge into God's word. It's not full of of, of that love, it, it is a puffed up. It's look how I experience God and you should too and I have a channel to God. I actually don't need the Bible because I can hear him directly. It, it's that kind of uh, garbage. And, and, and they go on and on and we have greater access, we have greater clout with God. You can also be as, as spiritually as alive as I am. Now, we must be clear, okay? Paul himself is not against visions or dreams. Paul had dreams, okay? If you're not a Christian, you're like, this is getting a little crazy. Let me explain another thing to you. We, uh, when, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And when a Christian believes in Jesus, they get, a, they get God's presence in them. And with them, they get what, what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. These are spiritual, empowered, 
uh, ways that the Holy Spirit wants to, through you, encourage someone, build them up, help them to worship Jesus, uh, help you meet Jesus. So there's spiritual gifts within the church, and one of them includes a kind of vision, a kind of gift of prophecy. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul himself writes, earnestly desire the higher gifts. In, in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 39, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. In another place, he says, don't uh, uh, neglect visions or prophecies. So he wants, follow me, your Christians today to obey those texts, to live in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But stay with me. The spirituality of look at how my gifts display how close and elevated I am is not an emphasis on Christ, which is the Holy Spirit's passion in his gifts for the building up. So Paul says, don't let anyone make you feel unfit, disqualified, insisting, and going on about visions and what experiences you need to have so that you can be as puffed up as them. Okay, some of you are here today and you have felt disqualified by those who have judged you. You've been looked down on because you're not performing like they do. Some of you have been those who have done that to others. And I want to say first that I'm really sorry. But that grieves God's heart. And God would say, as Paul has been saying, you have been established in Christ, that you are not disqualified, that you are qualified in him. As Paul put it last week, you've been filled in him. He has established you, and the fullness of deity who is in you is in Christ. You lack nothing, because Jesus is everything, and if he's in you, you have it all. Okay, let me say another thing. Legalism is the worst. It is the worst. And Satan, the spiritual evils around us, is is an angel of pride, and all he's trying to do is is get you to take your eyes off Jesus and onto you. That's his favorite game. In fact, he's behind all of legalism. I would argue what Satan wants to do constantly, night and day, Revelation says, is accuse the saints. Make you look at you and your works make you feel condemned. This is his favorite game, to keep you focused on you, to make you hate your Christian life. He can't condemn you because Jesus died for you. You need to hear that. He can't condemn you because Jesus Christ was condemned in your place. Romans 8 says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but he can make you think you are. Because here's what he knows. The more you base your walk with Jesus on you, The more you base your faith, the strength of your faith, the quality of your faith on you, the more you will get frustrated with God and you will feel like God owes you. How many of you, that's you today? You have deep down somewhere in your spirit, it's your turn, God. It's your turn. Didn't you see what I've said no to and how, how I've walked with you in this way and how I didn't perform that and how I've, I've been to this thing? And, I, and, and, and what it'll do is if it's all you, 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 is, is, is you will begin to think, God owes me. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Whole Christ, points out that a legalistic spirit leads to being ungenerous, 
harsh, overly sensitive to criticism, deeply insecure, and jealous of others because our, quote, sense of personal identity and worth has become entwined with performance and its recognition rather than being rooted and grounded in Christ and his unmerited grace. So, so if that's kind of, we just unearthed it, now we've just thrown it on the topsoil. Let's talk about how do we usurp it? How do we get it out of us, okay? You with me? You okay? Look, look again with me at verse 18. So he says this, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and here's the key, and not holding fast to the head. Okay, who is that? Jesus. Ephesians 5 says Jesus is the head of the church. From, wh- from whom, Paul goes on, the whole body nourished and knit together. It's the same language in Ephesians 5, that husbands love your wives like Christ of the church who gave himself up for her to nourish her. So from the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints, ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. He says in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, that speaks to the spiritual realm, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Okay, just stop there. So under legalism, follow me here, are the wrong roots. There's no growth from God. There's no nourishment. Why? Because they're not holding fast to Jesus. The head. They're not holding fast to the gospel of Jesus, to their savior Jesus, to their forgiveness who is Jesus. To where on the cross, Jesus paid for them, to their forgiveness in Jesus, to the grace that's in Jesus, to God's favor is Jesus. John um, Calhoun, 1800s one of the most amazing preachers of the early 1800s, said this on legalism, when a man is driven to acts of obedience by the dread of God's wrath revealed in the law and not drawn to them by the belief of his love revealed in the gospel, when he fears God because of his power and justice and not because of his goodness, when he regards God more as an avenging judge than a compassionate friend and a father and we when he contemplates God rather as a terrible in majesty than an infinite in grace and mercy he shows that he's under the dominion or at least under the prevalence of a legal spirit so under a legalism is a heart and mind that's not holding fast to the work the love the redemption the salvation, the acceptance of Jesus. Singular Ferguson, he writes this, the essence of legalism is rooted in a distorted view of God. He said, God becomes a magnified policeman who gives his law because he wants to deprive us and destroy our joy. In legalism, there's a heart that wants blessing. There's a heart that wants security. There's a heart that wants salvation. But deep down, deep down, all the way from Genesis 3, there's a lie that says, you know what? God's not good. He's holding out on you. I need to pry any blessing out of God's begrudging, unwilling fingers. With all sorts of observances and and, and performances. So underneath it is a belief 
that God doesn't really love me. And so here's what happens when you don't cling to Jesus. You will misunderstand your Christian life. You'll misunderstand the law. You'll see the commands in the Bible not as you should, namely as a way to become your true self, knowing and delighting and pleasing God, worshiping, seeing how it all goes, points to Jesus as a way to grow a relationship with him. You'll, you'll see it rather as a system in which you need to feel burdened to obey so that you can get things from God or have it that he be obligated to you. The only way to usurp legalism, okay, and just kick it in the face it's not only just tell yourself, okay, this is who Jesus is, this is how loved and accepted I am, that he forgives you, that's true, but it's holding fast. It, it's, it's gripping on to not letting anything distract you from any other lie that would say, you know what, if you add this, then, then Jesus will be more to you. He'll, you'll be better. You'll be more spiritually on the ladder. It's by holding fast again and again to God's goodness and costly love in Jesus. Holding fast to Jesus is about a relationship where his love is shaping you. His love is shaping your love. It, his love is determining the basis of your relationship with him. That's the determining basis, his love, not you. It's marked by the gospel changing our hearts to be about grace and mercy like Jesus when he called to his disciples, you're going to know when this is at work in your life because he says the greatest among you will be a servant where God gets the glory, not you, where the attention's on Jesus, not you. Okay, so how, how do we usurp this? I mean, practically, how, how, do, we, how do we figure this thing out? Well, um, let, let me give you two typical ways this attitude will, will play itself out in your life. Okay, so here's how it usually starts out. And you think about your own life and tell me if you can tell your friends uh, and, and one another in your community group. Okay, so if you're not in a community group, get in a community group. We're going to talk a lot about legalism. But, but here's how it usually starts. Here's how the sin of this spiritual pride begins. Um, it usually begins when we put a law, like a rule, uh, in, in a place or a boundary where, where we need it because something happened. Typically, we made a mess of our lives, we stumbled badly, or, or we got hurt. So this is a person who had an experience where they messed things up, and it cost them, and, and it brought hurt, and, and, and they came to an end of themselves, and, and they turned around and praised God for that, but in order to keep themselves from the sense of guilt, or breaking God's law, or I don't want this pain anymore, um, what they do is they put up boundaries, so they add rules for themselves so that, so that no one else, this is never gonna happen again. And, in, and instead of holding fast to Jesus who loves you, whose, whose grace is ready to change you, what they'll do is, is in an attempt to not get hurt or to fail again is they will, they will moralize that rule. They will add traditions to that rule. They'll make whole, uh, even festivals around that rule. They'll make man-made traditions. They'll add laws and rules. And it all looked fine. I was talking to one guy this week, and he was in a church where they had a forced date night. We're like, like the church, everyone had to take a date night, and it had to be this specific night. Is a date night a good idea? Yes. But if you didn't do that, you were less than. 
You couldn't go to any other church because all the other churches were the wrong kinds of Christians and they weren't even Christians. If you didn't go to these studies, if you didn't show up, and they had one-on-ones, if you didn't show up with your, is one-on-one discipleship a good thing? Yes, but if you didn't show up, you were condemned and you were even punished for it. So you have this good thing, this is what Christianity should be about, and then you make a rule and the laws about it, and this is how it happens, because here's what happens. It can, it can smell uh, extra biblical. And, and there's all kinds of things today that things like what you eat or drink, what holidays you don't participate in, right? What clothes you wear, what kind of music you listen to, whether you have tattoos, or if you homeschool, private school, Christian school, all the schools, or whatever it is. See, when you take something that cannot bring you or keep you favor with God and you make it binding on yourself and others, you've began to hold fast to something other than the head. So here's two principles. Don't make your preferences your prejudices. And remember, God's laws are for everyone, but your rules are just for you. Okay, now, if your legalism is the second one. Namely, um, spiritual, hyper-extra-biblical, charismatic spirituality. What more than likely happened was you had an encounter with God. I mean, you legit had an encounter with God, and it was real, and it began good, and, and, or someone else did, and you were with that leader or whatever, and... and and, and then all of a sudden, this claim was how you get closeness with God. This is how you get closeness with God. And, and the law is this is the only way you get close with God. And then what you do is you impose that on others. When, when for some of us, we, if you follow one charismatic leader too closely, it's because you more than likely had an experience with them or under them that was really powerful. And so f- follow me here. I'm just trying to get practical with us in this room, okay? I'm not, now I'm speaking in-house. Um, the motive is often good, right? I want to get close to God, okay? But what happens is, is, is they or you will think, unless everyone has this same vision or this kind of spiritual experiences, this is, or they'll say, this is the only way to true worship. Um, that's that's what will happen. That's the law you'll make. Is it a good thing to want more of God? Yes. Is it a good thing to want other people to experience God? Yes, but if you begin to believe your experience was a statement about you, that you impressed Jesus and are now in a certain rank or higher on the ladder with God based on, as Paul put it in this passage, visions and visions where it's, I don't need the Bible, God speaks to me with his spirit unless you speak in tongues, unless you've been healed or can heal, or unless you can prophesy or have a certain spiritual worship experience, th- then, then you are closer to God, you're more evolved, and, and hear me, that's not biblical Christianity. It's not. Jesus is our highest placement with God, and if you have him, you can't get higher than the ladder. And I need to say this, okay? I'm going to say it because I'm, I'm just saying lots of things. Um, the demonic realm, oftentimes, whenever they're brought up in the Bible, are brought up as angels of light. And so the Bible does say that they love signs and wonders. 
and that they will do counterfeit signs and wonders. They will, they will be happy to keep you spiritually full without Jesus and his truth. They're happy to do that. Look, guy, I'm just, I'm just the mailman. Like, if we're just in this passage, this is what we're talking about. So, I don't have an agenda, but let me ask you this. How's it going? Like, how's it going? If one of the patterns in your belief system within your faith is God's, God's love for me is conditioned on something I can be for him or do for him, you've got some legalism to take to Jesus. I mean, if you think that his love for you is contingent, your salvation is conditioned on something you can be for him or do for him. If you've ever had an attitude or pressure towards others that you, that you offer certain things, your ethical goodness, your avoidance of certain things, you know, your faithfulness to the Bible and church, that somehow that supports Christ's work or contributes to God's good will toward you, you're not clinging to the grace of Christ. You're still clinging to you. There's a kind of legalism that, that can even attack moms, okay? It's Mother's Day, so I'm going to take this, and we're going to apply it to you moms, all right? So let, let, me, let me begin by saying this is a small stream of legalism, but, it, but it's in the heart. Let me explain. How many of you moms have ever felt, or even today, you feel enslaved to being a good mom, a respected mom, an honorable mom, and that's a good thing? To the point, though, that the demands that motherhood places on you and the anxieties that can go with you, uh, with that, they just feel overbearing. Where, where being a mom is not joyful stewardship, it's just constant comparing, constantly feeling like you failed, constantly feeling like you're not as good as them, their Instagram is better, their Facebook posts are even more happier. <laughs> I can't stop watching this show, and I suck. And, and what happens is your life will feel like a yo-yo, okay? Where, where you're like the wooden spool at the end hanging on the finger of motherhood. So this is motherhood. And it's holding fast. And so when you're actively engaged, like when you're taking great, you know, Insta stories and you're spending time with your kids and you're getting the workout in and you didn't miss a birthday party, man, you're up. It's, it's up there. You're... You're, you're, you know, you're, you're happy, you're hopeful, but when you forgot picture day or, you know, yelled at your kids the entire morning, missed a workout, were given advice at the grocery store on how to discipline, which made you want to kick someone in the teeth, <laughs> watch an entire season of, or series on Netflix, you're just down. You're bummed, angry. So those yo-yo emotions, they are real, but follow me here. They are there because you have placed your life on the finger of motherhood. You've given s specific aspects of being a mom too much power to raise you up or hurl you down. All because you wrongly believe that once you could obey the perfect mom law, you'd be worthy. That you would matter. That, that, that you would have a sense of well-being. See, being a mom is a wonderful call. God's gifted you, but it was never meant to save you. It was never meant to climb up the ladder to replace where God is on the throne. 
who has given you an identity. And I'm so proud of the women in this church, the moms in this room. You do a wonderful, wonderful job. and You help each other. But just make sure you're holding on to him for your reasons, to being a great mom, to having a great stewardship. And, and Jesus has the finger of your life. And we can take this to anything. Because the truth is, is there's legalism constantly at war in our hearts. Those things we're holding fast to. So let me ask you this. How, how, how are you doing with this? Like how, what are those boundaries for you? How often do you hold fast to the generous love of God and the full freeness of his grace? If, if you're here and the Holy Spirit has convicted you that this is you. You spent a lot of time stuck on this treadmill and you judge everyone around you. And you're mad at God because he owes you. And so you, so you just add, well, then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then you will, then maybe you'll love me. Just come to communion today, seeing the cross of Christ, because the, the strength of your relationship won't be found in the blessing that you feel like God should owe you. It'll be in receiving again and again the grace you desperately need and on which your faith stands. Like that's how your relationship with God will flourish. And if you got some of that, and if you've been hurt by others who've, who've lorded over you, find freedom today. Be thankful that God is at work in your life. And we need to call sin, sin. Legalism is a sin. Jesus called more people to repent of legalism than he did of any other sin. He confronted legalism all the time. His nails went through his hands because of legalism to break its power to condemn us. And so you often hear, repent of sin, and normally we think, well, you know, it's, it's all the bad things that I did or did not do. Maybe repenting of legalism is you've been trusting in your good works. And the cross of Christ and in the love of Jesus and the generous mercy of the Father has not been in your heart once because you're just trying to get him to like you. And you need to repent of that. Let's call that sin. Like, let's just go, that was a sin against you. I am trusting in my Bible reading for you to like me. We all have it. Too many Christians don't see it because everyone is too afraid to call them out on it. But Jesus went under the Father's judgment for legalism. And so as we come now to the table of grace, let's come to hold fast to Jesus. Will you, will you rise with me? I'm going to pray and then we'll respond.
uh, Father, I, I just, I know that this stuff's really real to us. Like, I, I thank you that your word, I mean, we, we just opened the Bible and we saw what was there and we want, we want so desperately to functionally live out of all that we have in you. And I, I pray that we could accept this word today. I pray that, but Lord, if we're feeling still under judgment by a parent or maybe a leader at some organization or, or I don't know where, but I just, I pray you would, the cross would really set us free today. I pray that as we come and we take communion, we would hold fast to Christ and Christ alone. That the gospel is Jesus in us. And I pray that our hearts would leap. That's what I want to ask God. I, want, I pray that we would, we would just leap at the mercy of the Lord. As Paul wrote in Romans, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And I pray that we would have a different motivation at work in our lives. Help us, God, to see what, see what is on the finger of our lives, bringing us down and up, what has too much power, too much God-like authority, where it's not Jesus and his love and his grace and his word. And I I just pray for the next two weeks. I pray that we would be able to, as a congregation, walk into the next two weeks where there's many commands of your love and be excited. We can't wait. Can't wait to, to trust God with this obedience. I can't wait to see more of Jesus in this. And I just, I pray against legalism. Break it today. Crush it. Step on its head because you have, as Colossians says, you have, you disarmed the rulers and the authorities and you put them to open shame and they're the ones that are trying to take captive the church so I pray for your help in this, God. We love you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just help us apply this correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, we, we respond four ways every Sunday. The first is through communion, where we celebrate Jesus is enough. The fullness of him, deity dwells bodily. Paul says, and if with Christ you died, and that's communion, you're a Christian with Christ, you've died. Any rules or obligations, they're not bound on you. Jesus' love is in you. Come and celebrate the free grace of Jesus and experience his freedom. You're loved by the Father. If you can't say that, sit there and struggle with him for a while. But I want you to struggle at the foot of the cross and I want you to imagine Jesus bloody body for you what was that for there's nothing you can add or do God's love for you is fully in Christ and in Christ alone there's no other gospel so come and enjoy Jesus thank Jesus worship Jesus sing to Jesus pray to Jesus it's all about Jesus because Jesus changes everything and and we'll have a prayer couple here and then Sue will close our time. Come when you're ready.